We're turning to the book of 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5. And we're going to be meditating upon the verses 18 and 19 today of 1 John, chapter 5. First John chapter 5 and the verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Amen. We know that God will add His own blessing to the reading of His inspired and infallible Word. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into Your holy presence. We thank You for the Word of God. So we come to examine it, to think about it, to dwell upon it. We pray that You would help us with the aid and with the assistance, with the dynamic of Your Spirit, that You would help us just to turn Your Word over in our minds. We'd be blessed by it, refreshed through it, helped in our Christian walk. Speak to our hearts, we pray, and may our hearts be open. May we not have deaf ears to Thy Word. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Coming near the close of 1 John chapter 5 and right at the very end of his little epistle, John, he produces a very succinct definition of what it means to be a Christian in this world. And it's as if he's bringing all of these different lessons that he has been presenting to God's people over the course of the previous chapter, and he he just brings them all in to a few clear statements. And we will notice that next week as well, whenever we come to the final message, verses 23 to 21. What is it to be a a Christian in the world? What is it to be a child of God? What does it mean? John, he shows us here what it means. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And this is every bit as relevant for the first century Christian as it is for the Christian today in the 21st century. For while times have moved, and while we have become more modern in the way we can travel, the way we can communicate, the heart of man principally is the same. And the sins of this world are very much the same as the sins of the first century world. And it is still challenging to live for God today. But this encourages us to embrace that challenge and to stand up for the Lord because of who we are. We are a people that have been born into a wicked world. There are seven brief observations I want to bring before you as we think about these two verses. The first is the experience. 
To be born is an experience. It's the experience that we commemorate every year when our birthday comes around. When we entered this world, breathed the air, cradled in the arms of our mother. To be born is a great privilege. And we are here as men and women because we have been born. But we are also here as Christians because we have been born again. And the fundamental experience of the Christian life is that we are a people born of God. And just you think about what that phrase means. We know that whosoever is born of God. John is always at pains to strike a certain note. One of the key words of John's gospel is this word, to know. We know that whosoever is born of God. And then you have it again in verse 19, and we know that we are of God. And then you have it again in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God is come. Now that word, know, it's a pretty common word. Common in the Greek language as well as in the English. We use it all of the time. How is it that it's one of the key words? How do we know it's one of the key words of John's gospel? Well, over the space of just a few chapters, he uses it every bit as much, for example, as Matthew would have used that word, and Matthew's gospel was so much longer because John wants to show God's people that they can be sure, that they can know that they are Christians, that they can have confidence to live for God in this wicked and cruel and corrupt world. And here John is saying, we know that whosoever is born of God. We are not born again because we have undergone some kind of natural experience, because we have undergone some kind of emotional enlightenment, because we have been educated into some kind of truth we didn't know before. You may sit in this church today, and you may have had an emotional experience, but if it's only an emotional experience, then you're not saved. You may be sitting in church today, and you may know and you do know the truths of Scripture, and you have been taught them, and you're not in ignorance, and yet you may not be a child of God because you have not been born of God. It is so important that we know that we are born again. And that is what the Lord said to Nicodemus all of those years ago, whenever he confronted that man who was a religious person, who was a sincere person, who was a devout person, who was an upright person, he was a seeking person, he was well-respected, well-regarded within his community. He knew what the Scriptures had taught in the Old Testament, but yet he didn't know God. And therefore the Lord spoke to him, gave him words that greatly bemused him, mystified him, couldn't quite grasp it. Born again, how can a man be born when he is old? He was an old man who needed to be born again. The Lord said, you must be born again. It is the greatest privilege in this world to know that we are born of God. And can you look back to that moment, to that time in your life, whenever the Holy Spirit came, you were born again. That is the experience we have been born. 
And then, secondly, there is the grace. Because we are told here in the verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Seems to be a difficult phrase. The person that's born of God doesn't sin. We know that we are sinners. We know that we sin. We know that every one of us has sin within us, and we do commit sin. And John himself has said that much earlier in the epistle, because in verse 8 of chapter 1, he said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And yet here he says, and it apparently contradicts what he has already said. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Obviously, he isn't teaching that we are sinless. He's not teaching that at all. He can't be teaching that. That would be contradic- contradictory. And it would go against human nature. It would go against what we know of ourselves. Imagine a person standing up and saying, I don't sin. The very fact that he had said such a thing would prove that he had sinned because he would be so full of his own pride. So you see, he's not saying that we are sinless. But yet he's saying something that is in common with all Christians. He says, whosoever, whosoever is born of God. So he's not talking here about mature Christians. He's talking here about young Christians. He's talking here about children that are Christians, young people that are Christians. He's talking here about Christians that have struggles, struggles with perhaps temptations, struggles with fears, talking about Christians that seem to be victorious, have been enabled to do great things for God, but they're all in the one playing field here. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the new nature. The new nature that has been formed as a consequence of the work of the Holy Ghost within. That new nature that God forms within us is a sinless nature. Whenever we sin, it is never the nature that God has put within us that sins, for that cannot sin. When we sin, it is the old nature that sins. And therefore, we have this nature that has been fashioned by God Himself, And that is within our hearts, as the Holy Ghost is within our hearts. You see, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter said, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you see, the Christian is a partaker of the divine nature. That's what it means to be born of God. And therefore, that new nature cannot sin. The old nature does, but the new nature doesn't. We'll not be devoid of that old nature until we reach glory and we leave this old body of flesh behind. And this teaches us that Our lives ought to be shaped by the new nature. And this dovetails quite neatly with what we were talking about earlier from Romans chapter 8. We talked about how the person that does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Christ. 
What a privilege it is to have the Spirit of Christ within us. And because we've got the Spirit of Christ within us, we've got this power, this power that raised up Jesus from the dead. It lives in us. And through this power, we can mortify, we can slay, we can put to death the sins of the flesh. So our lives as Christians are molded. They are shaped by this new nature, by this powerful new nature. This teaches us something very, very encouraging. Grace triumphs. This new nature that is put within us is a triumphant nature. Grace triumphs. It always will triumph. It always has triumphed. Grace will never be defeated. The power of grace in our lives. That's the encouragement. Here we are, born of God in a wicked world. And yet with this triumphant grace within us through this new nature that has been given whenever we were saved. Currently, those of you who subscribe to the British Church newspaper, currently I'm writing a series of articles on the history of Britain from a Christian perspective. And I was reading and thinking about writing about Lady Jane Grey. It really touched me and moved me because she was only 16 years of age. She was the great niece of Henry VIII. She was third in line to the throne during the reign of King Edward VI. And King Edward VI, under extreme pressure, named her as his heir, therefore bypassing his two older sisters, Mary and Elizabeth. And she was forced to accept the crown when Edward died, and she did not want to accept the crown. But powerful figures around her who had coerced the dying king to make this will they forced her to take this crown. It all went very badly. It was an ill-conceived plot. And Queen Mary had lots of support, and she came to the throne. And Lady Jane Grey was sentenced to death. But she was not sentenced to death because of the plot. She was sentenced to death because she was a Protestant, because she was a young Christian girl. And she was given an ultimatum by Queen Mary. If you convert to Roman Catholicism, you'll live. But if you don't convert, you'll die. And she refused to convert to Roman Catholicism because she wanted to be faithful to her God. It was a very great choice that a young girl of 16 was given. You will face the acts of the executioner in just a day's time. Or you can walk out of the Tower of London in freedom. And she chose the axe. The night before she died, she wrote a letter to her sister Catherine. She wrote it on a blank page within her Greek New Testament. She was one of the most highly educated young ladies of her day at a time when young ladies weren't really being educated. It was a very new thing for young ladies, even in aristocratic circles, to receive an education. She was skilled in Hebrew. She was skilled in Greek. She could speak a number of modern languages, French, Italian, etc. She had lots of ability, lots to offer. And she had her Greek New Testament, and on this blank page, she wrote to her sister. Now, if you or I were facing 
the Acts, the next morning, would we be able to write? Listen to what she wrote. The words have been handed down through the centuries. The words of a young Christian girl, 16 years of age, facing death the next morning. I have sent you, good sister Catherine, a book, which although it is not outwardly framed with gold, yet inwardly it is of more worth than precious stones. It is the book, dear sister, of the law of the Lord. It is his testament. And last, which he bequeathed unto us wretches, which shall lead you into the path of eternal joys. And if you with a good mind read it, and with an earnest mind to purpose to follow it, it shall bring you an immortal and everlasting life. It shall teach you to live and learn you to die. As touching my death, rejoice as I do, good sister, that I shall be delivered from this corruption and put on incorruption, for I am assured that by losing a mortal life I shall inherit an immortal life, the which I pray God grant you and send you of his grace to live in his fear and die in the true Christian faith, either for hope of life or for fear of death. Fare you well, good sister, and put your only trust in God, who only must help you. That's the power of grace. That's grace triumphant. And we face challenges, lesser challenges. There's nothing that grace can't conquer. Let's move on and think about the responsibility here. Because we read on in this verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Now, we know that we are saved by grace and kept by grace. We do not keep ourselves in the faith. God keeps us in the faith. It is not our hand holding Christ that keeps us in grace. It is Christ's hand holding us. But yet, we know that within that, we have a responsibility. And because the Holy Spirit has come and renewed our wills, we need to employ the responsibility that God has given to us and use these renewed wills for the glory of the Lord. One commentator wrote, a child of God may sin, but his normal condition is one of resistance to sin. Just as when a child is born, that child's instinctive reaction is to cry, look for food, is to breathe. Those are the signs of life. And where there is grace, there are the signs of life. And as a consequence of God's work in our hearts, we will treasure spiritual life. And in treasuring spiritual life, we will want to guard ourselves from the wicked one. We'll want to guard ourselves from the evils of this world. We'll want to employ and use the means of grace, prayer, scripture reading, to go on with God. Use these responsibilities because it is a responsible thing. God has made us rational creatures to make choices. And this year, help us to choose well and choose for God because grace leads us in that direction. And then there is the threat because we read about the wicked one here, that wicked one. There is one who does not want us to grow in grace. There is one who does not want us to develop. There is one who seeks to thwart us the devil is a very real foe. And he's ever present. And he's a real threat to every Christian here. He wants to 
hurting to harm this church, and he wants to hurt and to harm every Christian here, every home here, every family here, every young person here, every child here. He has us within his sights. He is that wicked one. And he seeks to thwart us in our walk with God by throwing temptations in our way. And there are temptations. Every person has a unique temptation, a unique point of failure. And the temptations will come our way. They may come this week. He throws guilt in our way. Sins that we have confessed and repented of, He casts them up. Some people struggle with sins they committed in their unsaved days. They, they come and they come again and again. That's the work of this work of Satan. And there's discouragements. And there are many discouragements that come our way. Discouragements that are cast upon life's path. Discouragements from sources that we feel should have been there to encourage us. And yet, we feel put down and let down. The devil uses all of that to get at us and to hinder us. But ultimately, the devil wants us to be under his control. As God's people, we are led by the Spirit of God. The new nature is that dominant force, but the devil wants to reverse that and to bring us under his power. And that's the battle that's ongoing, the wicked one. But then there is a promise here. You look again at this verse 18, and we read here that the wicked one toucheth him not. The person that's begotten of God, the person that's born of God, the wicked one touches him not. You see, the devil is under a greater power. And yes, he is all-powerful. He's not all-powerful, but he has greater power than we have. Only God is all-powerful. But the, the devil's power is always restricted, restrained by God. And therefore, the devil can only do that which God permits him to do. And what the devil is permitted to do, he is permitted to do because God has a great role to fulfill in the hearts of his people, even through the attacks of the evil one. That's a very mysterious thing. Coming under the attack of Satan, and yet God's in control. And God will use that attack and our response to that attack for his glory and for his purpose. There's nothing that's out of God's control. There's nothing that's beyond the providence of God. And we can rest upon that. Remember, Job was attacked, but the devil could only do what God permitted him to do. And we would not be talking about the faith and the patience of Job were it not for the fact that he came under attack to begin with. And so you see, the glorious promise here, the Apostle Paul said that the child of God will never be tempted beyond what he is able to bear. What a blessing that is to know. And then there is the identification. Because we come to this verse 19, John says, and we know, this word know again, and we know that we are of God. We know that we are of God. Born in a wicked world, attacked by Satan, beset by our own feelings by times. But yet we can say through it all, we know that we are of God. We're identified with God. There are two kingdoms in this world, stripping aside all of the nations of this world. There's only two kingdoms, and all other nations will come and go. 
Some will have great power for a period and then they will be no more. Their peoples are dispersed. That's how history has gone. We have no reason to suppose that history won't go that way in the future. But these two kingdoms remain. The kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. The power of light, the power of darkness. Or what, on what side of that divide are you? Are you identified with God? And then, finally, we have the separation. Because we read in this verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. It's a, it's a powerful phrase, this. Here we are serving God in this wicked world, but we're different from the world. Because that whole world is lying in wickedness. One commentator suggested that this throws up a number of ideas. You see a ship that's shipwrecked, lying, stranded on the beach. You see a lost sheep lying there in a dangerous swamp. You see a pig lying there in the muck, in the mire. You see Samson lying there on Delilah's lap. It's, it's, it's an image of despair. And here we see the world, and the world is lying there, cast adrift in wickedness. And actually, the word wickedness, it's the same word as the word wicked one. The whole world is lying on the very lap of Satan itself. That's how we understand this world in which we're seeking to serve God. We learn something about the spirit of humanity in the world. The spirit of unregenerate man is a, it's the spirit of Satan, the spirit of sin. We should not be surprised at the depths of sin to which man is guilty of because the world is lying from the wicked one. We see it in the, the governmental structures of this world. We see it in the decisions made by governments, their laws and their policies. They're lying on the very lap of the evil one. We see the morality of this world, or the immorality, the lawlessness, the rejection of God's law. We see it in the culture of this world. We see it in the entertainments, in the music, in the art of this world. We see it in things that God has given for are good and for our benefit. You take drugs. Drugs have been such a blessing because they have helped to cure people from illnesses that a few decades ago were causing death. They're helping to prolong people's lives. They're helping to ease pain. They've been such a blessing, and yet the devil takes that blessing. He makes it a curse. Through the young lives are destroyed through the abuse of these drugs. God has given the gift of music. Beautiful gift. It's good for our mind. There's harmonies that soothe the, the thoughts. And yet, there's the ungodly music. The music of the devil. The thump, thump, thump. The lyrics that glorify sin and shame, which say things that people wouldn't dare say in any other genre, and yet they are there coming out of the, the ungodly singer. The devil takes these things that are gifts. The, the internet, what a, 
use it has for spreading the gospel today, and yet so many lives are polluted and perverted to the things they watch, the things they see. It's also true of books, of literature. Words generally, God gives us words, but when they are used in a bad way, what harm they cause. You see, it seems all too easy for the world to take God's precious gifts and use them in a destructive way, and yet it's because the whole world is lying in wickedness, cast adrift. But God has given us a role in this wicked world as those that are of God. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. An ambassador is given certain distinctives. He's a diplomat representing a foreign power here in this land. And so here we are in a foreign place. The world is no friend to God and to the things of God, and we're to be separate from the culture, from the society. We've got to be reminded day and daily that the things of this world, if they get into our heart and soul, if we abuse them ourselves, we'll be destroyed. So we've got to live apart from that. And live for Christ before it be too late. As those that are born of God in this wicked world. So let us go forward into this week. And let us endeavor. What am I going to do for God? How will I serve God? How can I stand up for the Lord? How can I show the world and show myself that I am born of God? May the Lord help us to take all of this to heart. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Write it upon all of our hearts. Help us to serve you with our all. And we thank you for this new nature. Pray that this grace given will be triumphant as thou hast said it will be. For Christ's